Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, social media. Is it of real benefit helping to create a global community of shared ideas, fostering collaboration and cross-country partnership, bringing closer the utopian vision of a world united by beautiful science and the pursuit of knowledge and truth? Or is it just another thing to add to the already long list of early career researchers, things they're being asked to do, fellowship writing, conference attending, poster making, presentation giving, networking, mentoring, career development, healthy eating, going to the gym, podcasts. (laughs) Broadly speaking, I think there are three groups of people. Those who do not engage with social media, those who have accounts but are inactive, and those who engage with social media and uh, social media butterflies. I think it's fair to say that our panel are biased towards the last group. All are advocates of social media and actively engaged on it. So welcome to Dr. Lakshini Mendis, a Dementia Research Project Administrator working in NIHR and also a regular host of this podcast. Dr. Jack Rivers-Orty, a Research Fellow at the University of Manchester. And Dr. Kirsty McLeese, a Junior Research Fellow at Newcastle University. Welcome to everyone. I'm going to be up front and say I have a Twitter account, but I do not use it. So today I am the cynical host who is here to be convinced of the value of social media. Okay, so let's start with which social media or social networking sites you routinely engage with. Kirsty? Hello. Um, I kind of have all of them. The personal ones, the Instagram, the Facebook, although Facebook I think is is definitely on the decrease. The Twitter and oh, the Twitter. Twitter, <laughs> etc. And ResearchGate LinkedIn, Orchid accounts. So I pretty much have all of them. Okay. Lakshini? Yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I think I have all of the accounts that you mentioned, Kirsty. But um obviously the way, yeah, so Instagram and Facebook are used more for personal kind of use. Um, and I think Twitter and LinkedIn are the main sort of more professional accounts. Okay, and Jack? Yeah, I agree with all of them. I have uh, <laughs> I have all of them, but Twitter is, is more my professional account. I really feel like Twitter is the LinkedIn for scientists. Yeah. It seems like all yeah. the scientists are on there. And they're, they're tweeting away opinions about papers and stuff like that. So it's a great way to reach out. Also, Google Scholar is uh, another important one, I think, mm-hmm. to have updated, mm-hmm. along with Orchid, ResearchGate. Yeah. There is a lot of them, unfortunately, <laughs> which means you have to update a lot of them. I guess probably my main question would be, there are a lot of them. Is the benefit in doing all of them, one of them, none of them? I don't know. I think picking the one that works for you um, because I found like like Jack was saying as well like Twitter was really great to kind of engage with the community of scientists and so I did my PhD in um, New Zealand and sort of just that geographical kind of distance um, it was really nice to engage with the rest of the community kind of based in the US and UK and Europe who were sort of using this technique because I was one of the only people kind of using the technique at the university as well so just to be able to kind of network and um, engage with the rest of them was really good. I think with Twitter as well you can kind of have a bit of personality on it Mm. even though it's professional you know, you can kind of chuck in a personal, yeah. like today, you know, screaming out, I needed an iPhone lead and a pen. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it was, magically appeared and it was when here. you were yeah. here. <laughs> um, but it's still relevant to the science community and 
I love how a single retweet that, you know, can be passed on and then, you know, it can be expanded to a very broad range. So that's how I find a lot of papers that aren't necessarily in my field, but are of relevance and other scientists and, you know, who, when I actually read their work, it's like, oh, okay, I would never have thought to have looked at them or it's a way of engaging with people I wouldn't have before. So um, there's a few social medias which are just to make you Googleable. So if you're Google Scholar and your ORCID and your research gate are up to date, it means that if someone Googles you, they'll see all your papers, your research topics, they'll find your email, etc. And then, yeah, Twitter is more about that social side. Um, and in science right now, there's a big preprint culture. Mm-hmm. And that is you put your paper up before it's been peer-reviewed, and then it gets peer-reviewed and published. And that way, people can see the research the day it's complete. And people are tweeting that out, and then your paper is getting 5,000, 10,000 reads before it's even gone through the gatekeepers of the journals and stuff like that. And so it's a great way to find amongst all these preprints, there's you know, tens of thousands of preprints, is to find those important ones because they'll get retweeted and shared. So there's an amazing social aspect to it. To come back to sort of what you said at the beginning of that about having your research presence online, so having all your publications listed and da-da-da. I saw a great presentation you did at um, one of the ARUK network events last year, Don't Be a Faceless Researcher, which I guess feeds into that about having... So when people look for you, Google you, they find you. Instead of you're just a name, you have a whole background to you. It was, it was sort of a presentation, and uh, I've done another presentation since, and I've called it um, Why Usain Bolt Shaves His Legs. <laughs> and um, and really what the, the key message was that there's about 50,000 people in the UK doing a PhD in biology. And the traditional way to get to academia is you do a postdoc, then you do two fellowships, and then you get to a tenure position. So there's 50,000 biology PhD students, and there's about 200 junior fellowships given out each year. So it is incredibly competitive. Depressing. So I I said um, in in this talk that we're basically in the Olympics of academia, and at the Mm. highest level, you've got to do the running and you've got to do the weightlifting, and that's winning grants and publishing papers. But you also need to shave your legs. You need to have that every millimetre counts. And part of that is just being known. Is is your face being known by the review board? I talked about a study where um, radiologists were actually better at their job when you stapled a photograph to the front of the document Um, and just seeing that face meant that they looked at the x-rays in more detail do you think that's true for cvs though because i having cvs come through i am put off when people include a photo of themselves on their cv yes no i think that's that's a uk thing thing. i think that that is is a uk UK thing thing. yeah (laughs) don't put your photo on there picture on a cv no No, aerial font full title done very very I, I go Comic Sans, obviously. <gasps> no, I don't. No. I'm just kidding. But you know, that was <laughs> developed so that the A is how you write an A normally, so that mm. children can understand it when it's written. Yeah, it looks type. like a child's writing. Yeah, that's why children, people don't want to see me. But anyway, so not a photo, but like a, a handshake or a scene, a tweet yeah. showing a bit of personality. If they know you're a human being, yeah. they're more likely to review your grants better, etc. Just get over that edge. Okay, so Kirsty, you said you have quite a few personal ones mm-hmm. and maybe Facebook is declining. And Yeah, so I'm a big Instagrammer. I mm-hmm. really enjoy pictures and I 
know, a lot of it is pictures of my friends and family and things like that. But I did use Instagram for public engagement. So I ran a marathon for Alzheimer's Society last October. So I use that platform and Facebook, although mm-hmm. that tends to, Facebook tends to be the aunties and the uncles that you never see, <laughs> you know, that you keep in touch with. And then Instagram seems to be more of my, my peer group. Um, and that really, I mean, you know, I broke my donation record and everything just by using that but it's very strange how I kind of segregate them all Mm. so for those ones I actually use a different name as well Mm. so I use my married name whereas Twitter is still my professional name which is stayed in my maiden name so I don't know maybe that's personal choice because it's different audience and I want to appear as a certain professional scientist on Twitter that's how my persona is. I have a uh, technical question can your Instagram your Instagram is public unless you make it private. Yes. So you wouldn't be searchable if you'd made it private. So yes, that wouldn't correct. be feeding into your online presence. No. So is that what you do currently? No, well mine are all public. Okay. Um, but I am of course very careful what I post. It's mm. you know, I always have in mind that I am almost a public figure people can google my name Mm. and I have actually googled my name before Mm. and both accounts do come up which was a which was quite scary as well because (laughs) some people don't know my personal life and vice versa Mm. so I think as well you do have to be very careful and I always keep in mind what I am saying especially on Twitter because it is linked to my professional you know persona Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's why it's taken me a long time to get used to Twitter I I had a, a long time out be and I, maybe because I was more you know I wasn't encouraging our group it was mm. social media was never mm-hmm. awkward this and that we have a website for the group mm. which is run by us and we put content on with the research but I, I think I was almost scared in saying the wrong thing because I've seen some people get attacked on Twitter <laughs> before by mm. controversial views especially in dementia as well you know in mm. research and also can so. you ever delete it I mean, these things surface like 10, yeah. 15 years after someone posts something and the yeah. whole career goes down the toilet. That's true. Yeah, I think you have to be very careful. Mm. I don't know if anyone's experienced any negative sides. I actually find Twitter super positive. I don't yeah. know about who it follows. but you I, see, I personally have never I, experienced anything negative. You see negative, young academics and everyone talking about imposter syndrome yeah, and they yeah. support each other and they say, you can get through this. A lot of PhD students are going through tough times mm. and they reach out and say, does anyone have any advice? And there'll be hundreds of comments of yeah, advice support, and yeah. support. And so I actually think the right community on Twitter is mm. really good. It's really good. Yeah. I was reading an article on the BBC about millennial burnout and I wonder whether you have any feelings on social media playing into that and a bit how I was talking about at the beginning that are a long list of things that researchers are expected to do on top of their research and do you think social media is now one of those things that you're expected to do but you don't have time to do I'd say it goes back to shaving legs. Um, it really should. Always. <laughs> it should, uh, if I shave my legs today, I could not be Usain Bolt in a, in, a, in a sprinting race. You've got to just focus on your papers, on your research and on your grants. Yeah. But, you know, 10 minutes a day to send out a tweet, read the latest tweets and see what, what papers are up. And then if you publish a paper, obviously you should update your ORCID and your Google Scholar and your yeah. personal website if you've got it. It really shouldn't take too much time. It shouldn't occupy your life you've got to be out there pipetting and all sorts of other things but I guess it's learning how to do that as Mm. well um because when you start off it's really easy to kind of fully you know become immersed in it and then just kind of just spend you know more time than you have Mm. um on these social media 
platforms as well, especially things like Twitter and stuff. So it's just kind of learning how to manage your time. Um, and I think, you know, that just comes with experience, I think. So if you are starting off, that can, I don't know, Kirsty, did you find that? Or, and then it's just well, like... I go through, like, really and then, time periods of, yeah. like, oh, yes, the sun, like, I was at ADPD in yeah. Lisbon. So every day I think I was sending five, six tweets out. And yeah. then as what? soon as I returned home, I have nothing else to say. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I'm desperately trying to find I a retweet through. just yeah. so I have some sort of... It sort of tweets and floats as well. Like, I'm definitely finding that I'm not on Twitter as much as yeah. I sort of used to be, I guess, when I was, you know, fully kind of immersed in. No, oh, sorry. There's no radio <laughs> silence for, you know, a week yeah, or so. No. Then you'd be fine. But it is. So you sometimes do you I think forget. It's important <laughs> to keep up the momentum. You don't think you could maybe use your your professional Twitter is sort of a I've gone to this conference, these are the interesting things I've done, now I'm back to my research so go quiet for six months until you have a public paper to be published Do you see, is that more what ORCID's for or ResearchGate mm. that kind of thing Well, So every time you tweet if you tweet ten times you seem to get an additional follower and so if you only tweet it once every six months on your papers or yeah. I mean once every two years on a paper is probably more realistic um, you, you're, you're going to have 12 followers so mm-hmm. you do have to keep active. The other thing and is like, how the algorithms itself yeah, work yeah. right like on these things. Yeah. I find it a good motivation though because I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll want to read a new paper yeah. so I can tweet about it and then the author will often tweet back thank you I just had a big discussion with um, a, a Manchester researcher because the media took his research to mean you should snort sugar <laughs> to oh, I cure did see infection in lungs. And yeah. he was like, the media just went crazy with my research, which was very specific about how the lung is a low glucose environment yeah. and that kind of impedes inflammatory responses. He was never saying snort sugar, Andrew <laughs> McDonald. He's a very good researcher. And so I was having a discussion with him the day his paper came out. And I re- went to his paper because of Twitter and stuff like that. So it was good motivation. But you work at the University of Manchester. You mm. could have gone to see him personally, I guess. I could have. <laughs> he is two floors up. I mean, oh my goodness, it's exhausting. <laughs> um, so slightly differently, Lakshini, I gather you started a website to help talk about science. I did. Sci-Sites? That was very niche. So it's, it's called SciSites, and the idea behind it was kind of like a blog, um, was to talk about very nerdy things, science-related. Um, travel sites just because I found that you know when I do like my bits of travel just being the sort of geeky person I am I'd be like oh what kind of you know science here they're like museums and stuff that you can check out um and I just found that you know there'd be kind of the random list on you know some website or like one article written about stuff so the idea behind my blog was to sort of bring it all together and that was very much just kind of like a hobby slash passion project that I started um, and through that actually I learned more about social media so in terms of like you know I had a size related Instagram and Twitter as well and uh, Facebook that I sort of kind of plunged into and then since then it's been on the back burner a little bit because of you know moved countries and had to adjust and all of that but no I just I learned heaps about what it takes to kind of you know build that online presence as well and get your followers and all of that um yeah and are we still saying that that is a good thing i guess this it's yeah yeah and you know the idea behind this was to just make science more like normalize it and make it more accessible as well because what you realize is you know i was then talking about 
um, okay, well, how is the Grand Canyon formed? And, you know, talking about the science behind that or like the different minerals that you see in, um, you know, giving colors to like the geothermal like lakes that you have around like New Zealand and that kind of thing. And sometimes it's, it's really cool. So in like on Instagram as well, that's what I found. Like I was getting lots of engagement. It wasn't taking too long. I do like a, par- you know, post a photo, do like a paragraph of stuff. Um, but it was really nice to kind of get that engagement. And then maybe people who it, it was, you know, reaching out to bo- beyond the size community as well, which was nice to see and get that engagement. Okay, and did you find it that added value? Like, did it help your career, I guess? Oh, I, I don't know. That was because it's so kind of far removed from, like, the actual research I've done and sort of Alzheimer's and things like that. But I have seen Instagram, like, I, I will say I follow some, like, really great science communicators who use it as a really good platform to talk about their work and, you know, share the work that they're doing as well. So, yeah, I learned lots of, you know, how to use it, I guess, more effectively. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, So something you mentioned earlier, Jack, was about um, pre-publishing. So this is focusing on online publishing before you get it peer-reviewed. Could you talk a bit more about that and how that links in? Yeah, so there's um, uh, physics has been doing it for a long time, but now biology is starting to catch up. There's a, a common one's called bioarchive, and uh, people submit their paper to the journal, and the review process often takes months. And then they ask the journal, "Can I pre pre publish this on bioarchive, which makes it freely publicly available, no paywalls, um, and it sort of gets uh, science out from behind that peer review curtain." And sort of the argument was that. Um, the, the peer review is, is an important pillar of science, but it's just two or three researchers reviewing your research. And people say often um, the more important peer review is after the paper is published. Did people like the paper? Did people cite the paper? Did it become an, an important keystone paper? And that sort of secondary uh, peer review can happen in a pre-publication setting. So people can start to make comments about the paper um, before it's gone through the sometimes six months, sometimes one year uh, peer review process. And so it's sort of cutting out the middleman and making science more publicly available and free. Okay, well, that sounds good. I like that. I'm starting to be convinced by this whole <laughs> social media online presence thing. Uh, but I think we do have to talk a little bit about time. How much time does it take? I know you said 10 minutes a day. Like Sheena, you also said there's a time drain often, you know. Sometimes I I think it's, you know, up to you to kind of manage that time and you have to be mindful about it as well because it's easy to kind of sit there and like start scrolling and be like, ooh, kind of go down this, you know, rabbit hole almost (laughs) of really interesting things that you'll come across. Um, But, yeah, I'd say the benefits outweigh the, the, you know, yeah, I think you do have to watch your time because it is quite addictive. Mm. And, you know, we're talking about the peer review process. Often in science, you submit a grant, you submit a, submit a paper, and it all comes back negative reviews that you have to address. And so you've got this constant negative feedback. Whereas outreach, 
and social media is often very positive feedback. You know, you put up a tweet um, about science and how you're loving it and this, and you do an outreach program, and all your feedback from that is normally really positive. It's thank you for coming to our yeah. school, thank you for running a marathon. And so it can become the main focus, but it doesn't progress your career anywhere mm. near to the magnitude that publishing papers mm. and winning grants does. So you just have to watch the addictive nature of it, mm. I think. And do you think, because we sort of talked about, yeah, publishing and your research and grants, that being the bulk of your mm-hmm. career development and how it moves forward. Uh, is it that people search for you who are your peers? Do you see what I mean? Instead of, like, you wouldn't apply for a job, you wouldn't expect to apply for a job or a fellowship and them to then look for you. Or do you think that is the case? Do you think someone who's peer-reviewing your paper would then look for your online presence? Good question. I think I, think I know now with job interviews, they do look at social media profiles. It's mm-hmm. one of the first things people do look at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know if that would maybe uh, bias some uh, an application. I'm not too sure, but that's it. I've never really thought of of that aspect before. But I suppose if you you know if you are just outreaching via the work and science and educating people, it shouldn't be a negative as long as mm-hmm. you're just yeah. quite careful with. With with what you say, yeah. yeah. Okay, so have you got any top tips for how to build a great online presence? Oh, well. So one tip (laughs) I got was uh, make your tweets rich. um, And a rich tweet will have several, one or two hashtags that are like available Mm -hmm. hashtags that people will click on. So don't have hashtag I'm a neurobiologist in (laughs) Manchester because no one will look at the hashtag have some sort of hashtag dementia or something like that Um, and have an at so at someone perhaps someone with a bigger following someone that you're sort of addressing saying great research at amazing scientist Um, and have an image if you can because you've got a wall of text in Twitter so if you can have an image and at and a hashtag it'll make that tweet richer and more likely to be shared etc okay and should you set a timer on your phone to stop being on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? I mean, there are those apps yeah. that you can get to <laughs> that tracks how long you're spending on them. So maybe if you think you're spending a little bit too long, that might be your way to go. Okay. I have a Google Chrome app that means I can only spend 10 minutes a day on Twitter and on yeah, Facebook. Right. Oh, really? That's, yeah. Yeah. that's good. Yeah, it shuts that's... it down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I need one of those. Yeah, same, I think. I always try and make things educational. So mm. if I am scrolling through, because Instagram's my the one that I struggle to get off, especially on the feed, because mm. you could go down rabbit holes. Mm. Of, a lot of them are medical and science related, yeah. and then it's 40 minutes past. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, back to work, back to work. But yeah. And Lakshini, do you have any top tips? I think just don't be afraid to inject your personality into your tweets or, you know, other up, like status updates you do, posts and stuff, and even LinkedIn and things like that as well. Okay. If in doubt, use a GIF. That yeah. is a great one. It's <laughs> very funny. Um, okay, so I think this is probably the time where you will get to plug your own Twitter handles. So go for it. Um, well, I have a website as well. Uh, well we've got oh, two nice. websites. Wow. I've got jackorty.com. And I've also got mereconjecture.com. Mere Conjecture is a blog, whereas Jack Audi is my professional CV website. And then my Twitter is at mere underscore conjecture. Okay. Um, and mine's at BLHS Mendes. So BLHS, M-E-N-D-I-S. 
and I'm at Kirsty K-E-M. Nice. Well, thank you all for listening and I hope you will now all take to Twitter and write some interesting things, injecting your personality, GIFs, hashtags, ats and images. And if you have anything else to add to this topic, please do post your comments in the forum or drop us a line on Twitter using hashtag ECRDementia. Thank you. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.